The following program is sponsored by the friends and partners of Time of Grace. Well, today I want to give you a boost in your trust. If you're a follower of Jesus, or even if you're not, I want to show you today why God is the number one person in all of the universe in whom you can put your trust. And I hope as, as your trust goes up, your happiness, contentment, joy, and peace in life follow suit. But to do that, I need to tell you a story from the Bible. Uh, it's a true story that happened about 4,000 years ago from one of Jesus' ancient ancestors, a man named Jacob. There's a high level of trust. If you know the person that you're doing life with is faithful and trustworthy and true, well, it gives you such peace and security and joy and contentment and hope for the future. In fact, if you're taking notes in your program today, I'd love for you to write this down, that you can get through almost anything with trust. And I want you to write that down today because that is so, so, so true in the relationship that we have with God. Uh, as I look out at you today, I know so many of you say that you believe in God. So many of you identify as Christians. You trust that there is a God, that he is your Father in heaven. But I, I would propose to you that the true source of peace and stability and hope in the Christian life is related to the amount of trust that you have in that God. Is he a faithful God? Is he a constant God? Is he the kind of God who says things and forgets? Or is he a God who does exactly what he says every time in every way? The difference between a Christian who worries about tomorrow, things at work and things with finances, and a Christian who has this incredible amount of peace comes down to trust. There can be two Christians who commit the same embarrassing sin, but the one who drags that around and feels less than and unworthy, who lives with guilt and shame, compared to the one who lives with joy and freedom and peace, comes down to trust. Does God mean what he says? Is he a faithful, constant, trustworthy God? Well, today I want to give you a boost in your trust. If you're a follower of Jesus, or even if you're not, I want to show you today why God is the number one person in all of the universe in whom you can put your trust. And I hope as, as your trust goes up, your happiness, contentment, joy, and peace in life follow suit. But to do that, I need to tell you a story from the Bible. Uh, it's a true story that happened about 4,000 years ago from one of Jesus' ancient ancestors, a man named Jacob. So if you have a Bible with you, a, a device, or you just want to follow along the screen, uh, let's jump into God's word in Genesis chapter 32. It says, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, I'll explain that in a second, uh, his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So we zoom into this one night in Jacob's life when he is terrified uh, a time when he is sending all of his flocks, all of his possessions, and all of his family across the river to stay a moment by himself. Because Jacob is about to be reunited with his twin brother Esau. And they haven't seen each other in two decades, in 20 years. And you think that'd be a reason for rejoicing, uh, unless you know the rest of the story. The last time they saw each other, Jacob again broke his brother Esau's trust in a major way. He actually impersonated his brother Esau. He stole his clothes, dressed up as his brother to, to hustle and deceive their blind father Isaac to steal the blessing that belonged to Esau. Esau was so furious, he was ready to kill Jacob and Jacob had to run for his life to his uncle Laban's house and he stayed there for 20 years and now finally he's coming back. 
Uh, like I said, Jacob wasn't the best man on planet Earth. He actually met one woman and he kind of got hustled into marrying her sister, two sisters. Then he started sleeping and got two other women pregnant. So he's coming home with all four baby mamas, all 11 sons, uh, his daughter Dinah, all the, the flocks. And he hears a rumor. Someone comes running up breathless to tell Jacob, your, your brother Esau is coming and he's not coming alone. He's coming with 400 men. And you can imagine what Jacob's thinking. I'm, I'm dead. <laughs> and he has some time to think and some time to pray. And as he's praying, the weirdest thing in the Bible happens. <laughs> Let me show you to you in, in verse 24. It says, so Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. <laughs> I love that passage so much. We, we don't know exactly what happens, but we know until daybreak. So for hours and hours and hours, this totally random dude starts wrestling with Jacob. And I forgot to tell you, Jacob at this time in his life is 97 years old. He's, he's about to join the Smuckers Club and this dude like throws him into a figure four leg lock and body slams him and for hours they wrestle. Look at the next verse. It says, When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And Jacob somehow doesn't just shriek in pain. He must realize something. Who, who could do something like that? Remember, he wrestled with, with his big bulky brother Esau his entire childhood. Even Esau couldn't do that. Maybe Jacob thinks, I'm not wrestling with some guy. Maybe I'm wrestling with God. Look what happens next. Then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. <laughs> I told you it was a weird story. <laughs> God apparently has like a, a coffee appointment. So yeah, he has to go. He's done with the wrestling match. He says, let me go. And Jacob said, I won't. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. He's, I mean, picture him. He, he can't stand it and fight. His hip is dislocated. Is he just holding on with, with one leg? Is he gripping on to God's arm? Is he flat on his face? You know, God, God's trying to get away for his appointment. He's dragging Jacob along. You know, like, uh, like Kim used to hold on to me when I would leave after our dates in college. And I'm like, I gotta, I gotta go. I gotta go. Oh, no, I think I got the characters backwards uh, in, the, in that story. You know, Jacob, he's, he's holding on for dear life and he says, and this is really the key verse, he says, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. You see, there's something going on here in, in Jacob's head. Uh, he's deceptive, but Jacob is smart and he remembers something he's been hearing his whole life. And his whole life he heard that God was going to bless him. Rewind all the way back to the start of this sermon series and you'll come to Genesis 25 where God had said to Jacob's mother, your, your son, your younger son will become a great nation and his older brother will serve him. Or jump into the middle of this series, Genesis 28, where, where Jacob fell asleep and he saw the stairway to heaven and God was at the top and, and God said, Jacob, I'm going to turn you into a great nation. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And, and Jacob remembered the blessing. In fact, if you would read all of Genesis 32 just before we jumped into this story, you would find Jacob praying these words. He said to God, Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau. For I'm afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. And here's the line. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea 
which cannot be counted. But God, you said, you said my descendants would be like the sand of the sea that no one could count them, but, but I can count my kids on my fingers and toes. You, you didn't do what you said, God. You said that, that my brother Esau would serve me and he is about to kill me. God, this, this can't happen because you said. You promised my mother that I would become a great nation and, and I'm not a nation. We, we fit in a couple of tents. God, you said. And Jacob, with this incredible amount of trust, he holds on to God. He, he will not let him go even if it seems like God is walking away. He's exhausted but he will not let God go until he does what he says. Jacob, in incredible trust, he believes that God is faithful, that God is constant, that God is true. And with great, incredible faith and boldness, he says, God, but you said. And this is the thing that I love like so, so much about God, that because he's God, he does what he says. <laughs> I mean, do you believe that? Maybe your father on earth doesn't always do what he says, but God is not a father on earth. He's our father in, in heaven. And because he is all-knowing, when he makes you a promise, he knows exactly the situation when he will fulfill it. And because he is all-powerful, there, there's nothing that gets in the way and makes him run out of energy or his ability to keep his promise. And because he's eternal and he stands outside of time, when he says something to you today, he already sees the fulfillment of it in the future. And because God is holy, which means sinless and flawless, he, he can't break a promise. Like, if God told you something and he didn't do it, he would have to hand in his God card and resign for all eternity. He's God. And so he has to do what he says. And at the heart of this beautiful moment in Jacob's dysfunctional life is him believing that. God, you have to. You're, you're God. And you said, and today, that's how I want to encourage you to pray. In fact, I'd love for you to write this down. The trusting prayers start with those same words, but you said. God, you wrote it down in the Bible. You said. And now you have to do it. Let me ask a personal question today. Do you ever pray like that? With that kind of boldness? I mean, desperation, like, God, you think you're going to walk away from me, but I'm going to hold on to you and you are not getting away from me. I'm not letting you go unless you bless me until you do what you said. You might think that's insulting to God but just the opposite. When you believe that he's God and trustworthy and true and you hold on to his promise, he's honored and he's worshiped. When you find a, a promise in the scriptures, you can hold on to it for dear life knowing that God has to do it. He, he has no other option as God. He has to do what he said. Let me give you just uh, three examples of, of what I mean. Right, here's the first one on the screen. There's a trusting prayer you can pray, but God, you said you would do good in bad times. When you're going through heartache and tragedy and confusion, so something that's just bad in the scope of human life, you can hold on to God and say, but God, you said. Some of you know what God said in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. He says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And so you can pray. What a crazy prayer. God, you know what's happening right now. My, my relationship is, is messed up and I don't know if we're going to make it and I'm afraid for the kids. This is bad. And God, my dad has, has cancer and it, and it sucks and 
You know, everyone wants to cheer on social media, but when you're going through the chemo and you're throwing up every single hour, it is terrible. And God, I don't, I don't know how our family's going to make it. Like, I, I can't pay the bills and I'm trying to get a good job. This is bad. But you said, and my best friend is battling depression, God, but you said, and my brother was abused growing up, but you said, and my wife has MS, God, but you said, and I don't want to be a widow this young, but you, you said, God, in all things, not some things, not, not in certain things, you said in all things you are working for the good, so God, you do what you said. I'm, I'm not letting you go. I, I'm not letting you walk away and just assuming that you're like everyone else. You're God and you have to, so do something. Let me meet someone amazing at a support group that I go to. Do something good. But let me die and, and bring my cousin to faith at my funeral. Do something good. Strip me of these idols that I think I need to be happy and let me be, just be content that I still have you. God, I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know when you're going to do it, but you have to do something. You're God. And you said. And so when you're suffering, don't, don't, don't pray out of weakness. Pray out of the promise. God, I'm waiting. I'm holding on. You, you got to do something because you said. Let me give you another example. What, what about prayer itself? Uh, you can pray like this, but God, you said that prayer works. Uh, do you know what God said about prayer in James chapter 5? Uh, it's just a, a game-changing passage. Check this out. He says, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I, I love those words. Powerful and effective. And, and so you can pray like this. God, you said that when righteous people pray and you made me righteous, I'm right with you because of, of faith in Jesus Christ. That every time I would talk to you in Jesus' name, it would be powerful and effective. <laughs> like I'm, I'm not just praying as the, the starter pistol for dinner or just to feel better before I go to bed. I'm praying because every time I do, something is affected. And so God, I'm praying right now for my family. And I'm praying right now for my relationship. And I'm praying for this wedding. And I'm praying against this anxiety. God, I am praying. And you say that when I pray in Jesus' name, it's powerful. This is not just talking up to the skies. Something is going to happen. And it might be today, it might be tomorrow, it might be in a year. I might see it, I might not. But every time I pray, it's powerful and effective because God, you, you said. Come on, what, what better incentive is there to pray than that? That every time you talk to God, he has to do something. It, it's like you're wrestling with him and you're not going to let go and he has to bless you. He has no other option. How much would you pray for your kids, for our president, for our country, for your finances, if you knew that every time you approach the throne of grace in Jesus' name, he has to do something. It might not be the, the something on the top of your list, but he has to do something because he, he said. I made my favorite example, num number three. You can pray like this, but God, you said you'd forgive everything. Everything. <laughs> uh, do you know what God said to you in, in 1 John chapter 1? Check out this verse. If we confess our sins, he is, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But God, you said, you said all unrighteousness. Like the, the, the stuff I, I keep thinking about, the stuff I keep doing, the stuff I'm so embarrassed, like I, I don't even want to talk about with my Christian friends. God, you, you said all of it. 
like sexual sins and addiction and the times I don't trust you, the, the times I get so excited for football season and that, that joy is way more than the excitement I have for worshiping you. Like that's messed up, God, but you said. You said you, you wouldn't give me a second chance. You, you said you wouldn't give me a third try. You said you would just purify me. Like I could stand before you pure and righteous and blameless and beautiful. You said I don't have to make this up to you. That, that there is no penance, that there's no waiting period. You don't give me a temp card to see if I'm really good enough to be in your family. You said you're faithful and you'd forgive me for everything. That I don't have to mope around today with guilt and shame. God, you said. <laughs> Can you imagine if, if you would believe that? Like that, that God would look at you right now with, without a, an ounce of disappointment in his eyes be, because he said at the cross of Jesus, everything would be finished. And I could give you a dozen more examples. God says every time you share his word, it is never in vain. Every time you do something for a small child, even a cup of cold water, you will not lose your reward in heaven. Every time you give and no one notices and no one prays, your father sees what's done in secret and he will reward you. Every time you open up the Bible at home and you feel like you don't even get it, I didn't get much out of that service, God says, no, 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 my word never comes back empty. Every time we find a promise, we, we point a finger in his face and we say, no, 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 God, you said. <laughs> I love what Martin Luther said about this topic. Uh, he says, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of his willingness. <laughs> Unlike that unjust judge in Jesus' story, this isn't God saying, fine, <laughs> if you're going to pray a hundred times, I'll, I'll give it to you. He says, no, God, God is willing. He wants you to come in faith, believing he's actually God, a holy, faithful, trustworthy God, and to hold on to him in prayer. And brothers and sisters, do you know how you can do that? Do you know how you can pray just so, so boldly without being embarrassed, without being afraid? Because uh, our God changed your name. Now, let me show you the last verses from our story today from Genesis chapter 32. The man who he found out is God, asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. And the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, I think with a smile, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. <laughs> Jacob limps away with a grin on his face because God changed his name. His old name was Jacob, the heel grabber, the deceiver, the sinner, but God changed it to Israel, a Hebrew name which means wrestles with God. Here's a man who holds on to God, who trusts God. He doesn't just believe in God. He, he grips him for dear life, for hours. Even, even if his faith is burning, he's not going to let him go until he blessed him. God, after all of Jacob's sin, he changes his name. Which is the same thing he's done for you. Some of you here at our church might recognize these. Some of the, the best research I've done in my entire Christian life. A few years ago, I went through the entire New Testament with two highlighters. And I wanted to see the names that God would call people like me and, and you, people who believe in Jesus. And there were quite a few examples when God was pretty honest about our struggles and our sins. When God would call us a name like weak or Jesus would say to his disciples, oh, you of little faith or the apostle Paul would say, what a wretched man I am. 
In fact, I found 70 different times when God was pretty honest about our sinfulness. But you know what else I found? That. I found 612 names that God calls you because of Jesus. 612 name changes from sinners into saints. From those who disappoint God to the people that he delights in. I found names like righteous, made right with God, invited to the Lamb's feast in heaven. You are a new creation or a new man. I found this, like he said to Mary, you are highly favored. You found grace with God. You are those that the Lord loves. You are like a bride beautifully dressed. God's like the husband waiting at the end of the aisle, grinning over this woman he delights in. And name after name after name, 612. For every one time God would call you a sinner, nine times he would call you a saint. And that's why we pray boldly. Because we're not just weak people of little faith to God. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus Christ and the empty tomb of Jesus Christ, this is what we are. And all these things that we would look in the mirror and we would not say about ourselves, because of Jesus, it's absolutely true. And if you're the person that God has chosen, the one that he loves, if you are the sheep of the good shepherd, if you are a child of the one true king, why would God not listen to you? When you pray. You see, friends, uh, you can pray like Ed did. Uh, Ed was a man who had a wife who had a terrible struggle with anxiety and fear. Often, Ed's wife would, would just stay up in her bed in the middle of the night worrying about the next day, what, what if and, and what about and what's going to happen. And sometimes the fear was so bad, after hours, she, she knew of nothing else other than to wake her husband up and ask him to pray. And that's exactly what Ed would do. Like a godly husband, he would, he would pray over his wife, asking for peace and a good night's sleep. One night, as Ed was praying for his wife, all these scriptures started to pop into his mind and he started to pray things like this, God, you're faithful. We know that you are the God who goes before us into tomorrow. And you're the God who stands behind us in yesterday. You're the God of, of angel armies. You command the heavenly hosts, but you're the God who will never leave our side like the most faithful friend. God, you, you have crushed our, our enemy. The, the lies of the devil can't keep us up tonight. He, he prayed and he prayed. And, and soon after, Ed called up his friend Chris and he said, Chris, I, I think I come up with an idea for a song. And Ed and his friend Chris Tomlin, maybe you've heard of him, uh, they wrote a song that would become famous worldwide. The song would be called, Whom Shall I Fear? And you know the lyrics? I know who goes before me. And I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. And the great line in the bridge, God, I'm holding on to your promises. Like, like Jacob, I'm not going to let you go because you're faithful. You are faithful. You're faithful. So brothers and sisters, today don't just believe in God. Trust in him. Hold on to him. Even if it's been hours or years or decades, point a finger in your father's face and say, I'm not going to let you go because God, you said. Let's pray. Uh, God, you're God. <laughs> you can do anything at any time and in any way. You're a God who knows about everything we're going through right now. All the burdens we carried into this church, all the sins that we just can't leave in the past, you know. And you're a holy God. 
You're the God of angel armies and you could not be a father in heaven if there was a speck of sin in your heart. And so God, we pray that you would open the eyes of our heart to see you, to know that you're God. And that if you say it, you have to do it. I pray God today over every sickness represented in this room, every sin and every bit of guilt and shame. I pray over every worry, every fear, every bit of anxiety that keeps us up at night and robs us of peaceful sleep. I pray God that you would do something because you said you would. And I pray God that every time we see ourselves in the mirror, we, we would be honest to say that we are still sinners. But because of Jesus, we are so much more. You have changed our name. You have redefined us at the cross of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we can live with peace and with joy. God, you're faithful. You're faithful. God, you are faithful. And so we hold on to you today. You have to. Because Father, you said. We pray this all, Jesus, in your beautiful name. And all God's people who believed in the faithfulness of God, join their voices and they said, Amen. Discovering your platform has helped me to redevelop my godly habits of Bible reading and praying and to rediscover God and His love for us. I'm happy to report, though my faith isn't perfect, it has a much healthier outlook. Thanks to your reaching out to our sisters and brothers in the manner that you've chosen to. I work as an obstetrician in a remote place in India, and I get complicated and sick women whom I try to deliver safely. God's grace and time of grace give me courage to work. As I've transitioned to the role as the speaker for Time of Grace, I've learned so much about the people who are being reached with God's love because of generous friends just like you who support our mission. Together, we're reaching real people like Gregory and Carol who are dealing with real struggles but who started living joy-filled lives in God's grace. In fact, one generous donor was so moved by the stories of God's grace that he stepped forward with a $75,000 challenge grant. That means we need you and our team of supporters to meet this grant by August 31st so that together we can continue sharing Jesus with people like Gregory and Carol and show them how God is already at work in their lives. As a way of saying thanks for your support, I'll send you a copy of my new book, Love on Repeat. It's a collection of my blog posts that will show you God's unfailing love for you. It also includes questions throughout the book that will help you meditate and reflect on God's word. Your gift will impact more people than you can imagine. So to give, call 800-661-3311 Visit timeofgrace.org or text TIME to 313131. About 10 years ago, the Bible changed for me forever because I went to Israel. And we're going back and I would love to have you join us. Imagine sitting on the Sea of Galilee, reading the scriptures and thinking about the Jesus who was powerful enough to calm the most violent storm. Imagine climbing up the Temple Mount in Jerusalem and seeing the actual place where your Savior died and then journeying to the place where he rose from the dead for the forgiveness of your sins. We're going to spend 10 days in Israel in March of 2020 and we would love to have you join us. Watch the Bible go from black and white to color as we see the real places and think about the real events where Jesus Christ, our real Savior, gave us real life with God. I pray that you can join me and my wife Kim for this 10-day adventure that you will never forget. It will change the way you read the Bible forever and it will strengthen your faith in incredible ways. So join us from March 11th to March 20th, 2020 on this life-changing experience. Call us at 1-800-661-3311 or email us at info at timeofgrace.org. Call us soon as space is limited. Time of Grace doesn't end here. We offer so much more. 
Visit us at timeofgrace.org. You'll discover resources to help you in your walk of faith. These include blogs, Grace Moment devotionals, and our prayer wall. You can also stay encouraged with our daily video devotionals. Connect with us on social media. Join our Facebook group where you'll meet a strong community of believers. Follow us on Instagram and get an inside look at our ministry. And if you need someone to pray for you, call us or visit our prayer wall. Thank you so much for your support. We'll see you here again next week. The preceding program was sponsored by the friends and partners of Time of Grace.